0: Okay, um, if you open your Bibles at that um, page, um, again, um, so it was, uh, grab the page, um, five. I've got 735, um, seven Isaiah 49, 1 to um, 13. Um, just um, with the person next to you, um, as we read that out, there might have been stuff we just thought, what's that about? Um, just... Talk about it. If there's things which as you read it, you read it, you thought, I just don't understand that. What's that talking about? Um, just for two minutes. Okay. OK. Any things that you uh, weren't sure about? Questions you had? to be Hmm. What's that about? Does <laughs> that excite you Neil? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> you want to be there. Yeah. OK, yeah, what's that about? Polished arrow. Strange way to describe somebody. If I describe my mum as a polished arrow, I don't know if she'd be all that happy. Okay, cool. Well, I'm sure there are other things that were that are not entirely clear um, in there. Um, so we're, um, in fact, Duncan. Can I just ask you to go there, and then I can click through this um, PowerPoint thing. Oops. Able okay, to come out. So, um, who can remember some things about Isaiah? Looking at from last time, um, uh, where was Isaiah preaching? Who remember? I'll tell you. Um, uh, he brought God's word to people in Judah and Jerusalem. That's the southern part of uh, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, when? When? Around about the year? BC. Yeah, that's right, around um, about 700 <coughs> BC. So um, from the end of King Uzziah's reign until King Hezekiah. So the Israel were living in the land um, in, um, in Canaan. Um, and um, Isaiah was bringing them God's word um, from about uh, 39 BC to about 686, something like that. So about 700 years before Jesus, that's important. Um, Okay, what was Isaiah's message in the first uh, part, the first half of his book? Anybody remember that? Go on Josh, you can be the star pupil. Yep, yep, so he said God's judgment is coming. Yeah, that's right, yep, yep. So he was calling them to trust God, trusting God not in the nations uh, around them I'm um, not in the gods of the nations around them, the, the fake gods, the idols of the nations around them. He's saying, trust in God. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who redeemed you, brought you out of Egypt into this good land to make you a blessing to the nations, to make you a servant. Trust in him. Don't trust in these fake gods around you. But as they, as they didn't do that, as they failed to trust him, as they started to trust in the nations and the idols, he said that there's going to be judgment. Um, god's going to um, take you into exile, take you out of the land, um, into the nations around you. He's going to get rid of your land and decimate it make it flatten it get rid of your temple and everything that's going to happen if you continue to rebel against God if you don't trust God Uh, but as Josh said um, he said um, there's a great future for those who trust in God he promised them that all was not lost that God had a great future if only they'd trust God but what's happened by the end of chapter uh, 39 can you remember what do we know now by the end of chapter 39 as I was giving them these messages. Josh? They're definitely going into exile. exile. The exile is certain. They've not trusted God. They've failed to do it. They've let him down. They've trusted in the nations and the idols of the nations. They're going into exile. God's going to smash them, send the Babylonian army in to smash their land uh, and to smash the temple, to carry them off. Um, and so they were supposed to be God's blessing to the nations uh, but it hasn't happened they've failed in their great mission that God's given them and so we've got five big questions um, as we're looking at this bit of Isaiah that we're looking at first is have God's promises failed God promised that they'd be this blessing to the nations um, that they'd be his servant that they'd bring his glory to the whole world have God's promises failed Um, Can God save his people? It looks like the nations around them and the gods of the nations around them are more powerful than God is because God's people have been beaten. So can God save his people? Does God want to save his people? Does he still want to? They've rejected him, they've hated him, they've said no to him, they don't want him. Does he still want to do that? Does he still want to keep his word to them? Um, How can he make them his faithful servants again? How can he make them into this uh, nation that's going to display his glory to the ends of the earth um, and um, what's he going to do about his people's sin they've rejected him they've broken the covenant how can they become his friends again they're, they're in exile from him really how can he sort things out so those are the big questions that we that we've got but we saw last week That God had a great plan, that, that, that his promises hadn't failed, that he was going to save his people, he does want to save his people, he's going to make them his faithful servant again, that he's going to deal with his people's sin, and we saw that he was going to do it through this figure, this servant, who we started to talk about, who we saw in chapter 42. Um, And we're going to, and there are four songs in this part of um, Isaiah, all about this servant that God's going to send, that he promised 700 years before Jesus. Um, And so we're looking at the second one today, that chapter 49, that's the second um, of these songs. So, have all that in mind. Here we go. Uh, And we're told today he's going to be a servant of all nations. So, this is Jack. Uh, Jack is looking forward to his retirement. He's been saving for years, putting money into the pension fund. He can't wait for that day when he can leave his job uh, and finally uh, retire. That's what he's been living his whole life for. But he's starting to have wonder, is it going to be all it was cracked up to be? And the financial insecurity, pension funds looking dodgy. What's going to happen? Is it going to be what he'd hoped it would be? Um, this is uh, Julia. Julia has got a new boyfriend um, and she's, she's over the moon. She's, um, she'd been hoping to go out with this guy for years. She liked him for years, but he'd never been interested. But finally, um, he's interested in her. He wants to go out with her. And so she's happy. She's kind of happy because actually it's not quite what she'd hoped it would be. She's still filled with doubts. Is this really the relationship that's going to change her life? Uh, this is uh, Jo, um, and Jo um, just loves her friends. She lives for her friendship group, um, for um, uh, spending time together, hanging out together. She just loves um, that there, there are five or six of them who've known each other since primary school, and they love um, hanging out together. She just lives for those times when she can spend, uh, when she can see them. Except recently. Things haven't been quite so good. Some of the guys have been going off, some of the um, guys have been going off with girls. There's been some division in the group, and people have been backbiting with each other. just not quite what she'd hoped uh, it to be. Um, here's Mike. Uh, Mike um, worked all year for his exams. Uh, he spent um, all of his time revising. Uh, he had to get four A's to get into the top university, and he got his exam results. He got his four A's. But the night when he got his exam results, he went out and got completely plastered because he realised that it was just hollow. It was just empty. He got the results, but his life still didn't mean anything. Here's Amanda. Amanda lives for Saturday nights. She lives for those times of of release. She spends all week looking forward to that time when she can go out with her mates and get get trolleyed, get on the dance floor. She's looking for that release. She lives her whole life for it. And this is Adam. Well, Adam, he doesn't need anything else because Adam, um, he's uh, just working at being a good person, being a nice guy, and he is a nice guy. Um, Everybody thinks he's a nice guy. Uh, You couldn't meet a nicer guy, people say. Uh, That is um, as long as people don't find out what he gets up to when he's on his own um, and what goes on in his head most of the time. See, what are you hoping in? Where are you putting your hope for your life? Where are you putting your hope for your future? What are you investing in? What things are you looking at and saying, that's going to be what gives me life. That's what's going to give me a future. You see, maybe you're here today because you've started to see the cracks in some of the things that you've been hoping in. So you've started to see the cracks in yourself, maybe, in your own ability, like, like Adam, to be the person that you know that you should be. Or maybe you've started to see the cracks in other things, and the other things you've been putting your hope in, that they just can't uh, deliver, that those things just can't sustain the hopes that you're putting in them, that they've started to turn on you like, like predators, uh, wanting more and more from you. You see, there comes a point in all of our lives when we see that the things that we put our hope in just won't do. There comes a point in all of our lives when we see that those things won't, won't make it. We can't hope in ourselves, and that the other things, they just won't work. And that's where Israel were in this bit of Isaiah that we're looking at. Israel were at the end of the line They'd seen that they couldn't hope in themselves, and they were unable to be the people that they were supposed to be. And the other things that they'd put their hope in, that they'd been, been pinning their hopes on, well, they'd just let them down and, and turned on them. They turned out to be hollow and worthless. You see, Israel had, we've said it already, they had God's promises ringing in their ears. God had promised they would be a servant, um, that they would um, show God's splendour, to the ends of the earth. But the thing is, they'd been unable to do it. Uh, they'd hoped uh, they'd be able to bring God's salvation to all of the nations of the earth, but they just kept on rebelling against God. Try as they might, they hadn't been able to follow him. They just kept rejecting him. And so they'd been ab- unable to fulfil their destiny. They were bankrupt. They couldn't do it. And so as God began to judge them for their rejection of him, they'd started to turn to the big nations around them, to Egypt, to to, to Assyria, these huge superpowers around them to help them, to save them. They started to hope in them and, and in their gods. But they'd been useless too. They hadn't been able to save them. And so now... They were going on uh, in, into exile, into, into Babylon, another superpower, a cruel, horrible nation. Now, their hopes had been decimated. This was a nation who were desperate. All of the things they put their hopes in were cracked and broken. But wonderfully, God's told them that hope isn't lost He's still in charge. The exile, even the exile, is part of his plan. And he's going to raise up a man called um, Cyrus from one of the other nations to beat the Babylonians. And they're going to go back into the land of Israel. They're going to be taken back. But there's still a problem, isn't there? What's the problem? They're going back into the land, but what's the problem? They haven't changed. Well done, Mum. You can come again. They haven't changed. Well, what difference is it gonna make if they go back into the land? Because it's just gonna be the same thing again, isn't it? They're still the same old God rejectors underneath. So a change of circumstance doesn't, doesn't do anything. We know that, don't we? You could, so for instance, uh, you could put me in a Man United shirt and you could put me on the pitch at Old Trafford and you could get a huge crowd around that isn't gonna make me into a good footballer, is it? Or you could dress me up um, in uh, one of Jonathan's nice shirts and you could uh, give me some nice dancing shoes, stick me on the tiles and um, um, strictly come dancing. And that isn't gonna make me into a good dancer. I'm still gonna have two left feet. You see, a change of circumstance doesn't do anything, does it? We, we know that in our lives. So the, 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 it doesn't change what we can do underneath. So uh, the new job, sorry Cheryl I just looked at you (laughs) that was an accident the new job Uh, the new house the the new girlfriend the new the new baby they don't do anything to change what we're like underneath do they and it's the same for Israel like God could take them back into the land but they'd still be God rejectors underneath how are these people going to bring God's glory to the nations how are they going to fulfill their destiny how is he going to deal with their sin can't hope in themselves they can't hope in the nations around them where could they look for hope well that's the glorious news of this passage because this passage tells them they were never meant to hope in themselves they were never meant to hope in the nations around them they were meant to hope in someone else in someone who God would send to do it for them in this servant God promised 700 years in advance this one who take their place and fulfill their destiny for them so we started to see him last week but this week we've got another six just glorious things to see about him and the first is this this servant is a promised servant i just look in in verse one back to uh, chapter 49 verse 1 <coughs> Um, in the last song, it was God speaking to the servant, telling him about all he was going to do. God speaking to the servant. Here, it's the servant himself who's speaking. And look what he says. He says, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he's made mention of my name. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, uh, he's saying I'm not a new idea. He's telling the world that, that God promised him, And called him even before he was born. You see, this servant was always God's plan. He's not a flash in the pan. This servant was always part of God's plan. And God is just waiting for the right moment to send him. Just look at that in verse 2. It's your polished arrow, Neil. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. You see, what what he's saying is, look, I'm I'm like an arrow. I'm waiting in God's quiver. God's got me here and he's just waiting for the right moment to, to send me to do my work. It's not a new idea. God's plan has always been to send this servant at just the right time. You see, he was the one they were supposed to hope in. But the question is, what is God going to send this arrow to do? What's the work that this arrow's going to do? It sounds quite military, doesn't it? It sounds like he's going to go and kill people. So what is he going to do? Well, he's not going to send him to kill people. Surprising thing is he's going to send him to preach. This is a preaching servant. Just look um, at verse two again. It said, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. You see, the sword of this servant won't be a great big samurai used to scythe down the soldiers just to smash the nations to bring in physical kingdoms. The sword of this servant, what he's gonna use to do his work is his mouth, his words, the message that he preaches. So why is that? Why is he gonna use his words to do his work? Well, because Israel don't need him to beat armies. They don't need him to change their physical circumstances. What they need is someone who's going to deal with their hearts, somebody who's going to rewire them from inside, somebody who's going to change their hearts and their minds. And that's what words do, isn't it? Um, That's why um, so much time is put in. The general election's coming up, isn't it? The, the parties are spending um, hours and hours and hours thinking what is their message gonna be? Because they know it's not the smiling face of David Cameron or the grumpy face of Gordon Brown or, or, or whatever, that, that's not gonna win the election. It's the message that people hear. That's what's gonna change people's hearts and minds. That's what's gonna, gonna rewire them from the, from the inside. And you see, that's what this servant has come to do. He's not come to change the externals, to change their circumstances, like putting me on a pitch at Old Trafford. He's come to change them from within. He's come to deal with the hearts of his people and bring them back to God, because that's what they need. But still we think, well, words, I mean, that's great, isn't it? But words can be deceptive. <laughs> General elections is a great example, isn't it? It can be empty and worthless, promise the world don't actually do anything. Um, And that's just no good for the people of Israel, isn't it? Because these guys are desperate. Uh, They didn't just need somebody to bring a nice comforting message. They needed somebody who'd actually gonna sort them out. And that is exactly what this servant was gonna do because he'd come not just to speak a message, but he'd come to take the very place of his people to do what they were supposed to do in their place. He's the place-taking servant. Just look at that in verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. As we've said it already, haven't we? Israel was supposed to display God's splendor to the world. Their life, knowing God, loving one another, delighting in him, getting the, 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 the wonderful things that he gives to those who delight in him. That was supposed to show the world how great God was. Everybody was supposed to look at this nation and say, wow, God is amazing. Isn't he splendid? Isn't he glorious? Let's go and worship him. That's what was supposed to happen. But they'd failed. They hadn't been able to do it. They'd end up crushed and beaten and despised by the nations, carried off into exile. But God says here to this servant, you are going to be my new servant. You promised from ages before it was always going to be this way, but you're going to be my servant. You're going to be my true Israel, my new Israel. You're going to do it in their place, where they failed, you are going to succeed, and you are going to display my splendor to the ends of the earth. Yesterday, um, Laura was um, feeling poorly. In fact, she's been feeling poorly for a few days. She's pregnant, um, and so um, it's a kind of nice poorliness. Well, it's uh, nice for me, and I know it's very nice for her. But it's you know it's one of those poorlinesses, You know, it has a very sort of um, real. Um, kind of end to it, uh, both in terms of the end and the, the goal. Of, anyway, it anyway, doesn't matter. That's not the point. Um, she was feeling, she'd been feeling rough, sort of Thursday, Friday. And so um, we had a, had a chat with the kids and we thought, right, on Saturday, we are going to take Mummy's place. Um, so um, all the things that she does, which is pretty much everything, to be honest, around the house, we're going to do it instead of her. She can't do it because she's feeling rough. So we'll do it instead of her. So we made breakfast, uh, we uh, cleaned up, uh, we um, sorted the washing, uh, we did all of those kinds of things and got everything ready to go. You see, we saw that Laura couldn't do it, that she was feeling awful, incapable of doing the stuff she normally does. And so we stepped in, we sat in a place and Elsa said to me, Daddy, why are you sitting in mummy's seat? Why are you feeding Zach? And so I said, well, I'm taking mummy's place. I'm here to do what she can't do. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to take the place of his people. Except there's a difference, isn't there? The the difference is that uh, Laura deserved me to take her place. Israel didn't deserve this servant to take their place. They'd rejected God. They'd said no to him. But God, in his grace, (laughs) gave this servant to take their place, to do what they couldn't do instead of them and the other thing is that we didn't do a very good job <laughs> we left the washing out we did all sorts of bad stuff there was food all over the floor but Jesus was the faithful servant he did it in their place he prom- uh, God promised you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor you he is going to do it this servant will do it in the place of his people and the result Well, it would be amazing. Just look. This servant would be a peacemaking servant. So Israel were were split apart from God in exile, being judged by God because of their sin. But this servant would do it in their place and restore them. He would deal with their sin. Just look at verse 8. This is what the Lord says. He's speaking to this. God's speaking to the servant now. In the time of my favour, I will answer you. Answer just means I'll, I'll, I'll help you, I'll come to your aid. And in the day of my salvation, I will help you. I will keep you, I will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. It's that same phrase we saw last time in chapter 42, I'll make you to be a covenant for the people. See, Israel, they'd broken the covenant. God had made this great covenant with them. He'd made peace with Israel. he said, you're going to be my people. I know you've rejected me. I know that you're just like everyone else. You, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to reconcile you with me. I'm going to make peace with you. I'm going to have this marriage with you. And, and you're going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you all these good things. We're going to be this, this wonderful partnership. And you're going to show the world what I'm like. But Israel, they'd destroyed the covenant. They'd broken the covenant. They're like an unfaithful uh, marital partner. They'd committed adultery against God and the covenant was smashed. They'd been sent into exile. But here we promised this servant is going to be a new covenant. He's going to make peace between Israel and God, between his people and their maker. Uh, and notice there, he doesn't say, uh, I'm going to make a new covenant. Just look at that in verse 8. It's quite striking. He doesn't say, um, I'll keep you and we'll make you to, to, to make a covenant. He says, I'll make you to be a covenant. This servant is going to be peace between his people and between God. He in himself is going to deal with their sin and restore them to God. But not just the people. This is the amazing bit. Not just, not, not just um, Israel, this, this nation descended from Abraham. He was gonna restore every nation, people from every nation on the earth, every people group to God, even people from North Yorkshire. He'd keep God's promises to Abraham to bless the whole world through Israel. He was gonna be a promise keeping servant. Just look at that in verse six. This is great. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I've kept. That's too small a job. No, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That means that all the nations on earth, I will make you a light for all the nations on earth so that you may bring, actually it says, "you, you may be my salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, this servant, he won't just restore Israel. He'll bring, he'll be salvation to the ends of the earth. He'll be a light to the whole world. Israel was supposed to be a light. But this servant is going to be God's light in their place. And his light will shine into every dark corner of the globe. At last, God's promises to Abraham to bless the whole world through him are gonna happen through this servant. Well, that just sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? How could that happen? How could one man take the place of Israel? How will one man restore a whole nation to God? How could one man bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth and all without a sword? Without tanks, without military might, how is he going to do it? Well, we don't find out exactly here. But there are some clues, some little telltale clues, which if you're a detective, you might have picked up. And we've said the first two already. See, the first is that he's going to be this covenant himself. He's not just going to make peace, he's going to be. Peace in himself. Second, uh, he's not uh, uh, just going to bring salvation, but he's going to be God's salvation to the ends of the earth. He's going to do it in himself in some way. But there's also something else here, and this is the really surprising part. And and, and as I'm sure as as the people of Israel got this prophecy from, uh, excuse me, from Isaiah. That you can you can get you can edit that bit out, Josh, for the uh, for the recording. People in the car feeling sick. The, the, as people as people heard this prophecy, they'd been thinking, what? What's that talking about? Ah, what's going on? Because he's going to do it through suffering. Because he'll be a put down servant. He'll actually be rejected by the people of Israel. Just look at that in verse seven. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Now, God's speaking here um, as if all of this has already happened. It says, um, to him who was despised, and, aboard. and maybe you think, well, that's a bit strange, but often that happens in, in, in the prophets. You'll, you'll see that if you read through the prophets, often God speaks about things in the future as if they've already happened. What, why do you think that might be? Any thoughts? He's out of time. God's outside of time. That's right. Yeah, He's outside of time. And so that means if God's outside of time, for God it's as if it's already happened. It's so sure, it's so definitely gonna happen that God can speak about things in the future as if they've already happened. And just look what he says. This servant will be despised. He'll be abhorred by the nation of Israel and he'll be the servant or literally the slave of rulers or or tyrants. See, this servant is going to be rejected by the people he came to save. He's going to be treated like a piece of of, of dog dirt. You know when you have a piece of dog dirt on your shoe, it's the most disgusting thing, and you you wipe it off. You'll do anything to get rid of it, won't you? It's horrible. That's how this servant is going to be treated And that's why in verse 4 he says it's as if he's laboured to no purpose. It's as if all of his work has been worthless. Because the nation that he's come to save is going to reject him. But here's the extraordinary thing. It's through this rejection, through being rejected by the nation, that he's actually going to save them. It's through being despised and abhorred that he'll bring kings and rulers and people from every nation to worship God. Because at this point in Isaiah, here's another question for you to answer. At this point in Isaiah, who are the people who are about to be despised and abhorred and become the, the, the servants and slaves of rulers of other nations? Who are gonna go th- who's about to go through that? Who's he told that they're about to be treated like that? Well, it's Israel, it's the people of Israel. That's how they're gonna be treated. They're gonna be despised by the nations around them. They're gonna be mocked. They're gonna be taken off into exile. They're gonna become the slaves of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kings. That's how they're gonna be treated. So do you see how amazing this is? This servant is gonna take their shame on himself. This servant who's going to come, he's going to take their punishment and judgment from God so that they can be restored to God, so that the exile can end, so they can come back to God and not just them, but the whole earth. And the results will be glorious and and that's really what um, verses 8 to 12 describe this amazing result of what this servant's going to do just look with me it's just extraordinary this is what the lord says in the time of my favour i'll answer you in the day of salvation i'll help you i'll keep you and i'll make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land to reassign its desolate inheritances, inheritances to say to the captives come out and to those in darkness be free They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they'll come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. That's the south. It's just wonderful, isn't it? It's going to be, when this servant comes, it's going to be like uh, God bringing his people out of Egypt all over again, bringing them into a beautiful, fertile place where they're they're fed and and, and nourished again. But this time, not just the nation of Israel, but people from everywhere, from from afar, from the north, from the west, from the south, people from everywhere are going to come. And, And the captives will come out. Those in darkness will be free and they'll feed They'll feed beside the roads, find pasture everywhere on on barren hills. These will be people not hoping in in, in the gods of the nations anymore, not hoping in things which which are like cracked systems or hoping in themselves. They'll be hoping in God himself. They'll be hoping in the servant. They'll be satisfied. That's what this picture of satisfaction, they'll be satisfied in him. God will care for his people again. He'll nourish them. He'll feed them with himself. And the whole earth will will, will burst forth in joy to God. They'll rejoice in him. You see, that's why God sent this message through Isaiah to his people about this servant, because he wanted them to rejoice. They were going into exile. Their hopes had been smashed, but God was saying, Stop hoping in those things. Quit hoping in those worthless, stupid things that you're trying to build your life on in yourselves or the nations around you or or the the idols. Stop it. Put your trust in me. Put your trust in this servant who I'm going to send. Long for that day. Long for that day that he comes to do this. Trust in me, not in those things. He wanted them to rejoice and look for that day. Well, guys, shouldn't we rejoice even more? Because for those guys, they were looking forward in hope to that day when this servant would come and do it. But we're looking back because the servant's come. He's come. And now those springs that Isaiah talks about, those springs of water, those springs of salvation, those springs which are God himself, are open for us and people from every nation to come and drink deep of. Because as we read through this song, and I've, I've slipped into it, you can't not. It could be talking about nobody other than Jesus, could it? You see, the, the, the exile ended officially when God sent this guy Cyrus to take the people back into the land. A the, few thousand of them came from Babylon back into the land of Canaan. But it wasn't what God says here. It was, it was rubbish. They were in there. The temple wasn't what it used to be. Uh, they were slaves, still slaves of the nations around them. None of these things God promised happened. Why? Well, Because they were still waiting for the true end of exile, for the true end, which would be when this servant came. He was waiting like a polished arrow in God's quiver for God to send. And now he's come. Jesus. Jesus. So I just want to very quickly now, just do what we did last week again, and just look in Mark's gospel. We've been looking at Mark's gospel, for those of you who haven't been, we've been looking at Mark's gospel for the last few weeks to see um, how, uh, for Mark, Jesus is the king, this servant that God promised, um, and what it's like to follow him. But Mark really... And and this is what I want us to get as we look through. For Mark and for all the New Testament writers, they see Jesus as the fulfilment of all of these promises, as this servant who God sent. So where do we see in Mark's gospel these things? Where do we see that Jesus, if you can remember, if you can't, it's fine, I'll help, but see if you can. Where do we see Jesus as the promised servant? Where does Mark describe Jesus as this promised one? You haven't got Marcus to help you this week, have you? Get him on the line. <coughs> Promised, prepared for. Ah, excellent. Uh, chapter one, verses two, uh, verses two and three. So, uh, Mark says, "The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God." It is written in Isaiah the prophet. Okay, just a few chapters before chapter 40, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And who's the Lord? Well, who's the messenger? The messenger is John the Baptist. Who's the Lord? It's Jesus. You see, for Mark, Jesus is this promised servant, the one who'd been promised for hundreds of years. And now he's come. That's who Jesus is, this promised servant waiting uh, to do it. And in in chapter 8, verse 29, Peter sees it. He sees what Jesus has been doing. He sees the proof that Jesus is a servant. And he says, you are the Christ, God's promised anointed king. You are the one promised in the Old Testament. The one promised from hundreds of years has come. And where do we see that he's uh, a a preaching servant, not somebody who's come to, to scythe down rulers but he's come with a message where do we see that in mark's gospel mm. yeah that's right so what's the kingdom of god like it's not like somebody um, someone coming in to smash the nations down it's a message it's a, it's a word it's something that takes root in people's hearts and changes them transforms them from within anywhere else yep one verse 14 and 15 so um, Jesus comes he goes into Galilee is he going to go in and smash the Romans he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God the times come the kingdom of God's near repent and believe the good news which can transform you yep anywhere else 1.38, One thirty-eight. Jesus said, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. I've not come to, for Pete, to have, the, just to heal people, just to do signs, physical things, changing the outside. I've come to preach, to change people's hearts. Okay, um, where do we see that Jesus is a, a place-taking servant? not just come with a, an empty message. He's come to take his people's place. Should have made this part of the competition, shouldn't I? No. I could <laughs> Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So what? He, so when he heals the leper, yeah, we were talking about that last week, weren't we? Uh, the leper um, should be um, should be separated from God. Jesus um, and should and is is separated from God's people, separated from God, like Israel in, in exile. Jesus comes and he takes the place of the leper. He gets the sh- the, the 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 shame of this leper, he touches him, and he gets the shame of the leper, and the leper is restored. He's made clean, acceptable to God, Yeah. Anywhere else? we chapter one, verse nine, and 12 actually. At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Jesus is baptised, yeah, b- when you're baptised, that means that you're saying, I'm a sinner. Jesus comes and he's baptised. He takes the place of his people, he identifies with them in their sin. The Holy Spirit is put on him, he becomes, is uh, this servant with, uh, endowed with the Spirit and what happens, the Spirit sends him out into the desert and he's tempted for 40 days. Okay, Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years being tempted by God. They failed, Jesus succeeded. He was the faithful Israel in their place. He did what they couldn't do. What about the peacemaking servant? Where do we see that? The one who makes peace between people and God, between the whole world and God. Think of any talk about the covenant in Mark. So in Isaiah, Jesus um, and God said, I'm gonna make you to be a covenant for the people, bring you back into this marriage. Chapter 14, verse 24, we looked at it last week. This is my blood, Jesus says, of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. No, it doesn't say for the forgiveness of sins in Mark, he says that in Luke. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus himself, through his the blood, your blood in the Bible is your life. So through my life, I'm going to be a covenant. I'm going to give my life so that you can be brought back into relationship with God. So you can be restored to him. And what about a promise-keeping servant who keeps God's promises to bring blessing to all the nations? We're losing momentum, aren't we? (laughs) Chapter 15. 38, uh, 39. Here's what happens. With a loud cry, 37, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus died and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So not even, um, only the high priest could only go into the temple once a year Um, And he had to have a thick rope tied around him because he was a sinner in case he was struck down by God. God, And they'd pull him out. This huge, thick curtain which stopped people from coming to God. At the moment that Jesus dies, as he gives himself in the place of his people, the curtain's torn in two. And suddenly, God is open. God is open Not just to the priests, not just uh, to the men, not just to the people of Israel, but to everybody. Anybody can have access to God now because of Jesus' death. He's opened God up to everybody. And the first thing we see uh, after that, Verse 39, when the centurion, this enemy of God, this Roman who they hoped um, he would smash, this enemy of God, this centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry, saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the son of God. Who is the first person to be restored to God through Jesus's death on the cross? The first person to, to trust in the death of Jesus? The centurion. A Roman, a horrible Roman, one of the nations. Because this man, this Jesus, this servant promised by Isaiah has come to be a light to the nations. And how does he do it? Well, he does it by being the put down servant. We've seen that all through Mark 2, Mark 3. Haven't been the one who was rejected by his people. The one who, the the, the leaders hated and tried to trap the one who they plotted to kill and finally um, who they put on the cross and as he was there uh, on the cross in chapter 15 they spat on him They, they they shouted at him oh if you're the Christ save yourself come down from the cross he was despised and abhorred by the nation and yet through that death he opened God up to the world You see, Jesus was the one who Israel were to hope in, not in themselves, not in their idols of the nations. They were to hope for this servant Jesus. And it's the same for us, guys. You see, maybe you're beginning to see the cracks in the things that you've been hoping in, in your ability to be a good person and your ability to be the person you should be. Or, or maybe in the things in your life that you've been living for, your, your, your grades, your people's approval, career success, the Saturday night party at the friendship group. You're wondering what there is to hope in. As you look at your life for this last week, you see a mess. Well, the Bible says you're right to see a mess. You're right to see cracks in all of those things because they're never meant to be the things that you should hope in. Don't hope in yourself, God's saying. You're a sinner. You're unable to be the person you were supposed to be. You're unable to please God on your own. You're just like Israel. You deserve God's judgment and his anger. Don't hope in those other things. In The other things you try to fill your life with, to sort of squash that spiritual emptiness that you feel. So your money or your career or your friendship group, they won't do it. They can't reconcile you with God. They can't restore you to your maker and they can't really satisfy. That's what we know, isn't it? They leave you thirsting for more. But there is somebody who you can hope in. Someone who can truly quench your thirst. Jesus, the servant king. The king who's been at the center of God's purposes since before the world began. The king who's got a message for you that can change your heart, change you from inside out. The king who can sort you out because he's lived your life in your place. He's lived the life that you should have done and succeeded. The king who can restore people from every nation, from Boroughbridge, from Ripon, from Haiti, because he took your punishment instead of you. The king who's offering you life in all of its fullness because that's the picture uh, that got that Isaiah paints and it's just a beautiful picture just look again uh, to finish with uh, chapter um, um, 49 verse 9 here's what he says they'll feed beside the roads they'll find pasture on every barren hill on a barren hill they'll find pasture They'll neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them, lead them beside springs of living water. Is your thirst being quenched as you listen? Shout for joy, O heavens, verse 13. Rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. You see, God's promise is that those who listen to this servant's words and hope in him will find true satisfaction. They'll no longer be, be thirsty and desperate and looking for something to hope in. They'll feed on him. They'll find their thirst quenched. That's what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, wasn't it? Do you remember the, the, the woman uh, who we met at the well and she'd been looking to all sorts of things to put her hope in in her life she would had four husbands and the man she was with now wasn't her husband she'd been looking for love she'd been looking for satisfaction and Jesus said I come to give you water that will well up to eternal life when you drink of this water and he's talking about himself when you drink of this water you'll never thirst again he said I'm the bread of life the other bread you eat leaves you hungry feed on me You'll never be hungry again. You see, God is offering you himself through Jesus. And he's saying, come and find satisfaction in me. If you're not trusting Jesus today, well, stop trying to find satisfaction in all those other cracked things, those broken things, yourself, the other things in your life. Stop looking to those. They're never going to do it. Come and hope in this King. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, well, Jesus is saying to you today, why would you run after anything else? See, do you find yourself frustrated? Do you find yourself quick to get angry? Do you find yourself dissatisfied? Or could that be because you're hoping? in other things than this source of life, this servant, this Jesus, who's offering you himself? Are you thirsting for him? Are you hoping in him or in other things? Well, he's calling you today to leave those things behind. (laughs) Say no to them and come and be satisfied in him. Because do you know what the most glorious thing, maybe the most glorious thing, one of the most glorious things about the God that we worship is, it makes him different from every other idol. Do you know what the most brilliant thing is? God is most glorified when his people are most satisfied in him. (laughs) Should I say that again? God is most glorified when his people are most satisfied in him. See, this isn't a God who tells you to go and do, go and do, go and do, go and do this, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, like idols do, like friendship groups do, like people's approval does. This is a God who says, come and be satisfied in me. Come and enjoy me. Come and enjoy my forgiveness. Come and enjoy the wonders of God that I've got to give to you. Come and enjoy the well of fellowship with God that I want to give you. Come and enjoy that. Allow your heart to be filled. And then you'll find that you are somebody who flows over. Who when you rub up against other people, they want this God too. Let's be that kind of people. Not hoping in other things, but hoping in God, hoping in this servant. Let's sing. In Christ alone, our hope is found. He is our light, our strength, our song.